to the West North London, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Swedish national team questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. <laughs> You're so ready with that flag and everything. I, I love it. Because we, we all know Sweden's going to win the, the Euros, just so everyone knows. Yes. All indications are they're going to win. Undefeated. Clean sheet. Clean sheet. Can't even be stopped by Spain. Exactly. Unstoppable. Well, that's, yeah, just, that's about as much as we can say about it so far. I actually have a, a lot of good friends that are uh, fin- or from Finland and actually one or two that were at that Denmark-Finland game, funny enough. But uh, mm. they've been posting a lot of stuff about uh, how, because this is their first major tournament ever, mm-hmm. their, all their, their stuff is about how Finland is now the only team ever to be undefeated in Euros and World Cup qual- <laughs> major tournaments. Never lost. Never lost. You can't mm-hmm. lose if you don't play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Officially, they've played game and have never lost. That is, that is a fact you cannot deny. <laughs> what uh, what drink do you have in your hand? Well, I'm drinking the Stemma, and it is the, what is it? The What is the name? They hide the name on this one. It is the Citra Single Hop. It's a very boring name. Uh, Stemma is a uh, local brewery. Here in Bellingham, they're newish. I want to say 2018, 2019, when they started up. Good beers. It's good. It's a it's a great little uh, IPA. It's actually an IPA I like. Doesn't isn't too overwhelming. Has like that perfect balance. I mean, I also tend to like Citra hops. Right. And their their tap room, if you ever go to it, is really cool. If you're ever up here, it's definitely one you'll want to stop by. And I think they have distribution down in Seattle. So just Keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I'll have to. I like that can. It's pretty cool looking. Oh, I mean, their, their artwork is all amazing. It's it's a very well, you know, whoever started it had some money to start with because, as I said, the tap room is stellar, and then the uh, the the all the labels and stuff is just well designed, and everything kind of goes together. Cool, like it. Um. I I am dipping back into my stash of Colossal Claude. Mm. So I had a couple more of these, so I might as well nice. finish it off. It, I, I know it's on here. It says dedicated to fishing stories. <laughs> so if you want to tell <laughs> some tall tales. I have zero fishing stories. But have you ever uh, made it out to the uh, the Rogue Brewery down there in Oregon? I have not been to Rogue. I have been been to Deschutes, but not Rogue. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, it's uh, down on the coast. I'm forgetting what city, and I should know what city it's in. But uh, I was down there, and the tap room is actually a really cool little tap room. And then they have a lot of like very specific to the tap room beers. They'll do their experimentals out of there. So if you get a chance, uh, go check it out. Yeah, I. I Plan on going down to the Oregon coast later this summer, so I will have to see if that's on the way. Yeah, that one and uh, Fort George. If you're on the Oregon coast, those are two, my two faves. Ooh, that are going yeah. Down. Okay, so I need to look up my breweries ahead of time. Yeah, there's a couple of good ones. Maybe pick up a growler on the yeah, way. Exactly for the road. <laughs> road growlers. Yeah, that's totally illegal. Yeah, totally. Well, I was just excited that there's a there's an in and out on the way to the Oregon coast now. Oh, yeah. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about, about getting my fix. It's been a, so you don't, been a you year don't take, too. you don't take the, uh, Dick's drive in is better than in and out 
side of things or there I, I wouldn't even like that's like I don't know it's apples and oranges to me like they're both they both make burgers but I don't know they're they're very different in my mind yeah I never got onto that uh that argument I just see it's an argument and I'm like oh okay I just like good food yeah they both taste good I yeah. can't complain I don't get in and out all the time I'd eat yeah. I'd, I'd eat at Dick's once a week if I could but <laughs> it's probably not great for your uh, digestion and your uh, your figure. Yeah, my my girlish figure would just go away. <laughs> um, yeah. So on to Tim's bit. What you got this week? Uh so I I don't know if you saw it, but th- there was a protester who parachuted into the uh, the France Germany game today earlier. I, I missed I missed seeing that game, unfortunately. But I, I had heard some some people in were injured. It was a th- yeah. it was a whole thing. Yeah, and, and I not to glorify doing stupid stuff that gets other people's injured, but I do think it's kind of funny. <laughs> so I I was just wondering what, what what would you have as your protest when you're going down on the parachute into and what game would you parachute into? Does it have to be a protest? Or it could be no, anything. what's your message? What would be your message as you're parachuting into what game? Uh, um, I would obviously drop into an English, English game. Mm-hmm. I would, or England game, I should say. Uh, and I would, I would put slap the Western North London logo on a parachute and be like, <laughs> listen to my podcast. <laughs> so you're doing what, shameless self-promotion. What a better way to get people's attention than to parachute into the middle of an, an England <laughs> national game. Well, uh, how comfortable are you with heights? Uh, not that comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a drone. We should uh, do like, I, I think it was like Croatia. It was Al. Albania, uh, Croatia, I want to say it was a, I believe it was a Balkan game where someone flew in a drone with the other team's flag or the, their flag and flew it into the stadium at one point. And then a player like jumped up and ripped it down and kicked the crap out of the drone. I, I, I recall that. I don't know what game it was, but yeah, I do, I do remember <laughs> seeing that. That's more my speed where my body is not physically on the line. Cause apparently the guy actually did not come down well and was receiving medical attention oh oh i I guess he hit the spider cam and that's what the objects were that were falling oh yeah the camera that's like on the ropes that like kind of zooms around the stadium did not plan for that no couldn't see that coming apparently (laughs) (laughs) i what what was he protesting did it it, Uh, was that even clear yeah it was a green piece so it was a said green pieced kick oil out so it's anti-oil which like okay. i can kind of get behind but i don't know i think it tagging that on like the way that they do the anti-racism is a little bit tacky i think and then yeah also injuring people is not a great way to protest like that no but it got attention i just probably i, I don't think anybody's gonna kick oil because of it <laughs> you never know maybe somebody saw that and was like i need to just get sell my car Maybe, maybe, maybe the CEO of Shell or something was like, yes, this is, this was the thing that tipped it over for me. Shut it down. Just shut, shut it, it down. all down. <laughs> turn off the pumps, turn off the oil rigs. Maybe it should happen. Maybe he was just anti like cooking oil. Like maybe he was trying to like make a more fat free life. Oh yeah. 
didn't specify what type of oil. You got to be specific. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Kick crude oil. Kick motor oil. Kick. Maybe he hates olive oil. Olive oil. (laughs) The Greeks are pissed. Yeah, I know. The Greeks and Italians are just... rope us into this. (laughs) Okay. You can tell we don't have a lot to talk about. We're going along on oil. (laughs) (laughs) You did mention... um, injuries and one thing i did want to talk about a little bit was the crazy probably like the craziest moment of this whole tournament so far mm. was um christian erickson going down yeah is that, that was, is that did, is that something you saw live or did you just hear about it yeah uh, so i was actually so i was actually in bed it was as I've mentioned, I have a lot of Finnish friends, so I did. I kind of keep an eye on the uh, the Finnish national team, especially because it's such a th- big thing. But it, I wasn't really out of bed at that moment. I was kind of still lying in bed, and I just had the game on on my uh, laptop and was just quasi listening to it. But then I just started hearing what the commentator was, so I kind of like woke up and I actually backed up because the way it was sounding was like it was an injury. So I just wanted to see what happened, and then I just ended up watching everything unfold yeah and it was a, it was definitely a weird experience did you watch it at all were you able to see any or able i don't think that's the correct word were you watching it i i was not um it uh yeah it kind of hit at a weird time for me too and i i just happened to see the um the headline pop up on my phone and so i turned it on after that to see what was going on and I think they had pretty much, pretty much abandoned the game at that point. Um, but I thought, like, I think that the team should be commended for what they did to like protect him and and you know the the little things that they did to make sure that he was um, set up for you know like both surrounding him and then just little things to help make sure that he was. Um, you know, rolled on his side and, and in a good position when the medical team got there. I think that's very commendable. Um, but it's just, it's crazy to like, I, it really struck me and like made me think about my, my health and stuff. I'm just like, man, somebody who's clearly a, a uh, in, in good, good shape, not super old. I think he's, he's 29, I think. I think he might even be younger than that. Is he? Yeah. Anyway, he, yeah. he's in prime of life, prime, prime, prime of his life. And, and just made me think like, man, if somebody like that can go down and, and have a pretty serious scare, I mean, I think they said he was pretty much dead. Like he, his heart had stopped on the oh, yeah. field he and stopped. he was defibrillated. Like it, he was literally dead on the field. Yeah. Um, certainly made me think about my my life and my health and how crazy that is and um we'd kind of seen I, I mean i think as as sounders fans we had experienced that that um a little bit with dempsey having some heart issues and it's it's not um it's not something to be taken lightly and i don't think any athlete would put their life at risk to try to push through that if, if it was a um, a decision of continuing to play or, um, you know, continuing to live. I think that he's, 
you would not be um, wrong to choose life. You know, I think even if he had to step away from the game, I think that it would be the correct choice. But it's just, um, you know, how close they were to having a player die on the field early on in this tournament is just crazy to think what could have happened and, and, and just crazy to, to wrap my head around what actually did happen. And, you know, we don't have a lot of details about what went wrong or what was going on with him. And we may never know exactly, but, um, yeah, very kind of sobering moment for people to watch and be, I, I think that the fact that the team was able to continue on and finish that game is commendable, but I, I wish they wouldn't have been put in that position. Um, because I think that's, I think in the moment you think ah, I can do this, we should just, we should play on for him. He would want us to play, but I think looking back, most of them are, are thinking that was a mistake. And uh, I wish, I think when, when someone is in that sort of scenario, they're kind of in shock. So I don't think anybody on that team should have been making that decision for themselves because I, I don't think you're you're really able to think clearly and, and that's probably absolutely hurt them and, and um, that's a that's a tough tough way to go to lose your first game. So hopefully they are able to bounce back. You know, these are kind of things that can rally a team, but it's also the kind of um, mental distraction that can hurt a team too, as as we saw from the sec- second part of that game. So, um, I hope all the best for for Erickson. I think he's you know he's he's a former Tottenham player, but I think everybody can set that aside for the for the moment and just appreciate that he uh, is a. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a miracle that he's, he's still alive and that's, that's the important part. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I wasn't, I didn't realize, or it was amazing how much I was affected by seeing that and seeing those images. I mean, I've seen some pretty bad injuries. I remember watching the, you know, we all know the, uh, Zakawani injury. I saw that live. I remember watching that live. I remember the Diaby injury against uh, Sunderland, which was also another horrific horrible injury uh but there was something about this that really like, it, it put me in a weird headspace like I, I actually teared up at a couple of times like when i went in to the uh to the to menace brewing to go watch the uh 12 o'clock game the belgium game and like i was explaining it talking to a friend about it and i like i literally started tearing up talking about it and it was it was kind of weird because like it's not like i have a a deep affection for erickson you know, like, as you said, imagine he was a, a Tottenham player and uh, he also plays for Denmark, which isn't necessarily my favorite national team. And, but I think it really just brought home like the humanity of these games. I like, you know, we have these ideas about players and we get very upset at certain players. We have, you know, rivalries, but at, you know, at the end of the day, we are human and just seeing someone literally die in front of your eyes is a, yeah, it was, it's weird, and I'm I'm still actually kind of mentally processing it. And I think I I'm not going to come in with some hot takes because I, I I who am I to say whether the game should have been played or or you know different things like that or what the cameras should have been doing. But I really do hope that it's a time for everyone to remember that mental health is important and that mm. 
I hope that the, the more than whether or not the game was right to play or whether they're going to win a tournament or not, Denmark, the Danish players, I hope get the, the, the help they need or the people to talk to that they need. Cause I think that's long-term going to be a, a, a huge effect. I mean, you saw several of the players coming out crying like after the, the break and, you know, you saw Schmeichel comforting Ericsson's girlfriend when they thought he was dead. You know, <laughs> it's like, these are things that like, I, I can't, Again, it's like it's not my place. It's it's their place to say whether they're ready to play or not. But I can't imagine. Like I was hardly ready to watch another soccer game. I can't imagine playing another soccer game or finishing that game. Yeah, and I think like that can be a um, a thing that people can rally behind. Uh, so I, I hope that's that's the effect that that it has on the Denmark team and that's something that they can you know play for him and and try to win games for him rather than um, be distracted by it and I, I if if they don't do well and I, I don't know whether whether they would have done well uh, with with him or without him I mean I just hope that it's not something that that's like oh gosh well he was like one of their better players, and I hope that that's not like a, um, <clears throat> a death blow to their chances. You know, I think like men- mental effects aside, I hope that that's not, um, yeah, not going to hurt their chances because I think people are going to definitely pay attention to the Denmark team, and um, you know, I, I think they're going to earn earn some extra fans and some extra attention from this for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And then I think the, the entire, like everybody, like the entire soccer world on my social media feeds and the people are talking to were just so behind Ericsson that I, yeah, even like I said, I chatted briefly with one of my Finnish friends that was there at the game. And he said it was one of the weirdest feelings to, to be there. Like it was, it was odd because it was one of the, his most exciting moments of his entire life. He's been waiting his whole life for Finland to make a major tournament, you know, obviously risk COVID spent a lot of money to get out there was super excited. And then like when the goal went in, you know, like obviously he celebrated, but he was also just kind of said it was, a, it, it felt weird, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it just, it, it just felt off for him. And that game was in, uh, in Copenhagen. Is that correct? Yes, that was in Copenhagen. So, yeah, yeah. I I think on the they mentioned on uh, Arscast this week, just of all the places you could be to have that happen, a full staff of medical people. You know, it, 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 if that's that could happen anywhere, it could happen at any time. You never yeah. know what what can happen with these heart things. So, the fact that he was in a place where they had a, a staff and could. It, a defibrillator for that matter. Like that's super key. And yeah, just, um, you don't want to have that happen in front of all these people necessarily. I mean, if that had gone the other way and everybody had to watch a player die, that's uh, devastating. But the plus side is that short of being in a hospital, that's maybe one of the better places you could be. So that's really, um, kind of a blessing, I guess, if there, if there's anything positive to take away from that. Yeah, his friend of the podcast put on his uh, social media, Fraser Pringle, have defibrillators at all levels of soccer when you're playing and always have one of those around when you're doing any type of this activity. Yeah, it made me think twice about um, getting 
some some CPR knowledge. I, I don't. I could probably fake it, but mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather know exactly what I was doing if that ever came up. Especially like with my kids and stuff. Like it, that definitely came to yeah. mind. Just having that knowledge would be yeah, helpful. Definitely, uh, classes and uh, many workplaces will offer it at their uh, their buildings. As someone who used to provide CPR classes, most uh, big buildings used to to have it. So many. It, inquire with your workplace whether they want to uh, do it or uh, offer the training because I think it is a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well. Wow. Uh, uh, sorry. I was going to say we can move on to, to other things now and, and put that behind us. Hopefully he, he continues to recover. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, moving on from that because it can get a little dark. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you been watching any of the other games? Did you uh, enjoy any of the other games so far? Uh, I've caught bits and pieces, but really the only game I saw from beginning to end because I knew you would want to talk about it was the the Spain-Sweden game. So that's that's pretty much the bulk of my my Euro experience. I, I miss being able to like pop into a bar and watch games. Like I, I have mm-hmm. I have to kind of like plan for it now. It used to be I could go on my lunch break or at work or something and there was a couple bars around I could watch games at. Um, but now I, I feel uh, I have to I have to start making plans to catch some of these games in, in a in a bar with some people. Yeah, like mentally prepare for it. But like those noon 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 games, I was going to say noon o'clock, which isn't a, a time thing, but those noon Saturday games are a perfect time to go hit up. I know uh, several of the bars in Seattle are showing them. So, yeah. Yeah, I was it's, contemplating the England game, but it was a little too early for me. Yeah, I mean, well, the six o'clock games, I'm not even trying. Like I, I tried to wake up for one of them. I woke up, put it on, and then I'm like, you know what? No, I'm just <laughs> going to go back to sleep. There's back no, to bed. Back to bed. Uh, the nine o'clock's I've been, what I have been doing is I have them all set for record. And if the six o'clock game sounds interesting, I'll watch it at the nine o'clock slot. And then either watch the 12 o'clock or watch this, the nine o'clock delayed and then the 12 o'clock. So I've been catching most of the games. It And some of them I haven't like the, I found out the Switzerland uh, Wales gate score and I was like, eh, you know what? I don't feel like really watching that. Even though we had Arsenal's own Jaka, the only Arsenal player to be playing a game so far featuring in that game. It just still didn't, didn't, didn't yeah. match interest. I think the only, the only other game I caught a good chunk of was the uh, Netherlands Ukraine game that was that was a fun game that was actually the best game of the tournament to be honest yeah i missed the um like i stepped away and and came back and ukraine was back in it and i was like what the heck happened here (laughs) that was great i think (laughs) it was like a 20 minute spell where all the goals got scored and you're like what's going on that was oh and that uh, ukraine goal is great um it was right off the box i forget the name of the score but it was just running and you just perfect little dip so ukrainian second goal was a goal to watch hmm. and then of course you saw the uh scotland uh slovakia goal right ah uh, was, was that the long range one no yes yeah that was long the 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 50 yarder one yes it was from okay, half basically the halfway line yeah yeah chip the keeper it was beautiful yeah yeah yeah, I haven't watched yeah. enough of it. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna force myself to watch more this week. 
Yeah, I mean, on an Arsenal front, it's been extremely uninteresting. Uh, Jacques was the only one to start, and I didn't watch the game, but from the reports, it was a, a Jacques performance, nothing too exciting. Uh, the other interesting news to come out of it is Tyranny apparently has a little bit of an injury, which is yeah, always I had heard that. Uh, the the commentators were saying that it wasn't they expect him to play the next game against England and it may have just been a very simple one but that's the one downside of these international tournaments is you lose your player so I'm hoping it's not too big of a deal yeah if it's a small thing that keeps keeps him out of a game or two I'm kind of okay with that like rest is rest whether it's from an injury or not like less mm-hmm. mileage on those legs is probably the the better scenario so if he has to sit out a game, maybe that's not the worst thing. Yeah, I mean, they've been playing these games for like almost two years straight. That's probably not a bad thing that he gets some rest. At some point, your body is going to give out. It's it's inevitable. Yeah, I'd I rather know. it be for a small thing than a big thing. Exactly. And we've seen the big thing, so very grateful that it's a smaller thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, as expected, Leno didn't start, so don't have anything to talk about there. Uh, Sokka was on the bench but didn't see any time which again I'm a two of minds I want Sokka to be happy and do well it's always nice to see people do well but I don't mind him getting a little bit of a rest and I'm all for the experience but not not so much the mileage yeah like let it let him be there that's fine but let's let's keep him as a bit player <laughs> yeah exactly and you know that's all the uh, Arsenal news out of the tournament like there's there's not much else to talk about. Yeah, maybe that's for the best. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice to to yeah. No news is good news right now. So, right, I would I, I I'd much rather have that than injuries or anything else. And I, I, like Jaka, how long is he going to be our player? He might be yeah. might be he's uh, a. a Roma player by the time this tournament's done. Yeah. So, yeah. then that's another reason why I wasn't too too interested in Jaka. Other than I hope he plays extremely well and just pushes up that price tag just a little bit more. Yeah, right. Each goal he well, scores is worth a couple thousand pounds, right? I think that's how that works, yes. Moneyball. <laughs> um, well, do you want to... Do you, there's, there was some... Uh, I, I I don't know if the the Sweden Spain game was the most interesting of all of them that I watched, but it is it is like it is a, a team that is near and dear to your heart. So is that so? Uh, tell me a bit about what you're thinking of this team so far, because oh. I think you are, you're pretty strong on on them going all the way. Oh yeah, I mean, as I said before, Sweden's going to win the Euros. We all know this. It's 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 a given. <laughs> I will tell you that that game was not good for my heart. That game <laughs> was very, very, very difficult. I I knew it was going to be a difficult game. I was under no illusions about what was actually going to happen in that game because you know, when you look on a paper, Sweden is definitely not going to match Spain in any way, and especially the the Spanish pressing. Just Sweden doesn't have. If Zlatan was playing, you would have that playmaker that could get out of those situations. But Sweden just doesn't really have those types of playmakers that, when three players are coming in at you at the high press, that you can deal with, and that's how Spain plays. So, 
I knew that's what it was. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was hilarious how upset a lot of people were with how Sweden played the game. They they were just talking to, you know about how they were, you know, kind of being very negative minded. And I, I just think it's funny because that's, of course, that's how Sweden's going to play against Spain. It's, it really is. If Sweden comes across another big team, quote unquote, big team, that's exactly how they're going to play. They just really don't have the, have the team to, to compete with that. And I've made my peace with that. And so when you watch a game like that, I will definitely take that one point. I will take that zero goal. Cause I think goal differential is going to be a huge thing in this tournament with the third, the top third place teams going through. Right. I think it's luckily going to galvanize Spain to score more goals against other teams, which is going to make Sweden's life easier. And Poland losing against uh, uh, Slovenia is also not a not a horrible thing. So it's 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 looking good. Uh, I definitely put on the Swedish audio over Twelman talking on the the audio because Twelman is just an awful, awful <laughs> commentator. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the nice thing, what you forget about uh, other commentary to American commentary is that in Sweden, like it was most, mostly, they didn't talk through most of the game. It was mostly silent, just letting the game play. And then when there was something where you, they had to explain what happened, like, oh, that was offsides or, oh, why this is why it was called. They talked, but like for the most of the game, it was just breathing. Whereas I feel like, some American commentators feel like the need to fill the entire space with, you know, just anything they can talk about. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea of a color commentator is only good if you really have some insight. And I feel like, um, some of it just feels like they're BSing their way through it. You know, like they make very generic comments to try to fill space and it doesn't feel like they actually know these players. They're try- they're kind of making generic soccer commentary over the top of things, but mm-hmm. don't offer anything in depth as to what Spain or Sweden are actually doing. Um, so I think that's where a lot of people are frustrated because they're coming at it from a very neutral place, and that's where a lot of people are coming from who aren't necessarily, um, you know, when you're an American viewer, you're, uh, you know, the the commentators are kind of like the the viewers in the sense that everybody's coming at it from a neutral standpoint for the most part as a non-European country. Um, so I imagine Swedish commentators would have a lot more insight to actually offer if they even bothered to say anything. It sounds like that's not, not their mm-hmm. style, which I think it's very, the American commentators are very American and that you have to fill space and anything else would be considered dead air. And yeah, to me, it's like even the even the um, I don't know what you call the uh, play-by-play announcer, the stuff that they choose to talk about or not call or not talk about. I'm just like, what is the point of this? Like, either call, either you say everything because I don't know all these players, so you should be like saying, talking about everything, or don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just the, the <laughs> just filling the the dead air doesn't really work for me either it's it's not worth the the bs that you have to listen through yeah definitely and it's uh i think it was i put on the uh, the english commentary just for a second just to kind of see what was going on and so like when i had it on they were spending more time talking about the upcoming germany france game which i understand is a much more exciting for the neutral 
game, but like, mm. I don't know. I, I feel like you should be concentrating on the game in front of you as opposed to what's going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. but I understand I'm also very biased and not everyone's going to be as excited as I am to watch Sweden draw with Spain nil nil. So <laughs> did you, what was your feeling going into that game? Did you, did you feel like that was kind of what you thought would happen as far as the absorbing what Spain brought to the table? Yeah. I mean, like my joke, Sweden going to win the Euros cap off. Uh, that, that game was the most difficult game in the group in reality. No, mm. no offense to Poland or uh, Slovenia, but like, obviously that's the the game that's going to be diff- the most difficult and as i said you know sweden has a limited team there are, a lot of those players aren't at the same caliber as you know and not the same caliber it's just that they're a different type of player there's not that creative for the most part and we'll talk about a couple of players but for the most part there's not a lot of players that have that creative creating something out of nothing spark they're they work hard. They're very, very just workman like players. They work hard. They do their job. They know how to fit into a system. Mm-hmm. And when they're on equal footing, they can do some really interesting and awesome things. But uh, when they're outclassed and when you have those, that type of pressing, it's the the best thing they could have done. So it's to kind of bunker like that. And I, so, yeah, I was, I was expecting that type of game. I, Actually, I was expecting Spain in reality to put a one or two in. I didn't think it was going to get a runaway game, but I thought it was going to be a two nil to Spain was my real thoughts on it. But the other thing was Olsen, the best Dane in the uh, the competition because he's actually Danish and transferred to Swedish citizenship. So interesting. But he had a, the keeper had a great great game. I was hoping we'd see the goose get in the game. Yeah, I, did he make the bench? I was trying to remember if he even made the bench. I don't think he did make the bench. I don't think he did. And I, yeah, I'm always I'm always looking for uh-huh. the goose. They did like Sweden over the last three three ish years for since the last World Cup. Sweden hasn't really been putting uh, Svensson in as much. I think there's a little bit of the MLS bias, which he went to the MLS and I think that he falls off the radar a lot of times with the coaches. He comes in. Um, he's definitely a bench player on this, this squad. I wasn't surprised not to see him on the bench. I did see him in warm, warm up. So he was at the stadium dressed. So <laughs> yeah, I, there was moments in that game though, where I felt like they could have used somebody to help control the midfield a bit. Um, oh, yeah. Not to say that the players about in front of him were, um, you know, were bad or anything like that. I think they would, he, even he would have struggled, but I think that he does have that, that um, he's got a good heart tackle and could have disrupted a little bit more. I think, uh, I think he, I think he would have been a great late game sub in that game. Mm -hmm. I don't exactly know what the the coach was thinking. There are a couple of questionable decisions. The fact that they uh, subbed off Isaac in that game was very confusing to me and the Swedish, I, I, I thought it was weird. And then the Swedish commentators were very confused by it as well. Cause it was like 68th minute. They subbed off the only guy with creativity. Yeah. I was really surprised because it, it, it seemed like Spain was wearing out in that second half. And there were a couple, couple runs that he made that were actually putting Spain on their heels a little bit. So I thought that he would get more opportunities like that. And that they might plug in some more 
players around him to help facilitate that, but they went a different direction. Yeah, they, I think they went complete closed shop. Their idea was that they, I think the the thought behind it was that because it's always like a give and take. Anytime you are pushing forward, you are giving up something in defense. That's just like the the nature of this whole thing. It's just like in boxing, when you punch, you do leave yourself open. And I think the coach's thought was, we just don't have time of day for this. Like we we had our two two chances to 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 score, and that didn't happen. So we're just going to completely just close the door. And I think you saw the opposite of what can happen with the Portugal game today with Portugal Hungary, which is for eighty minutes Hungary played that same type of thing against Portugal and held them to a zero zero tie. But then you could see Hungary just like get the slight idea of like, oh, maybe we can score. And so they pushed up a little bit. They got a call, goal called back for VAR for offsides. And then Portugal won three nothing. And that's the danger when you're when you're at that kind of level of the team. That it's probably better to take off your creativity and just stick to what you know. And then for whatever reason, nothing Spain was doing was going in. Like their players just <laughs> they didn't have the shooting moves on that game, which I was grateful for. Yeah, I, you know, they, they, I think it was the comp, um, Twelman and, and, and company where we were saying that they caught Sweden happened to catch Murata on a, on a bad day, but I, I've never seen a good game from that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, every, every time I watch him, he seems to have a bad day. So I'm, I'm waiting for when, when he can really blow me away, but it wasn't, wasn't this game and it hasn't been the other games I've seen him play either. No. Yeah. I know then, he's good, but not not when I've watched him. And then the other thing with Spain is that uh there's a axiom I always say, which is that possess- possession without uh you know, dangerous possession isn't much. And the, you know, a lot was made of the fact that they like basically broke the record for some sort of passing thing. They had uh, I think it was uh, 85% possession. But you saw a lot of that possession was just kind of in their b- back half, just passing it between their, their center backs, passing it in the, the deep midfield. And it wasn't very cutting. There, was, there were a couple clear-cut chances, don't get me wrong, but not more than you would expect from someone who had 50% possession, you know? Right. Yeah, I in the, in the early part of that game, I felt like it was, um, you know, typical typical Spain in a sense that they were controlling and, and probing a bit, but I felt like going into that second half, you're still in control, but just not really um, creating anything out of it. And it, that was just a lot of, uh, a lot of smoke, but no fire. Yeah. I mean, I think, and the thing is Sweden generally does play out the back. It's actually like Olsen is actually not that horrible at distribution, but they didn't this game. It was very interesting. Like you, you saw that they, they went for the long ball, the very low percentage, high reward types of things on offense. And even, you know, coming out from the, if they were in the back, they would just punt it up. And I think Mm -hmm. that was on purpose. I I think they were like, all right, we'll give you possession deep in your half. And we know it's going to take, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds to get anywhere near a box. And we'll do that all all game long. And hopefully we'll hit you on the break, which they almost did twice. I mean, that Marcus Berg chance. <laughs> that that, so, that could change things. And yeah. He, he, it's so he, frustrating he, when you have stuff go off the post. It's 
Yeah. That game, that game of inches really, really stings. Yeah, it's just, it's annoying because I think Isak probably should have taken the shot, but he was doing the correct thing, which is to pass it to the person that has a higher percentage of chance. And mm. Marcus Berry, he just, yeah, it's, it is one of those things. It's interesting coming out of that game. If this, it seemed like Arsenal fans were uh, looking at Isak as, as a, you know, a potential player that Arsenal should be looking at. And I think that there are some rumblings that maybe Arsenal were, but I don't know if it's uh, anything but fan conjecture at this point. Um, but I, I, you know, if, if Arsenal were in for a, a, a player, that's kind of the guy, the type of player I'd like to see them go after. And it, it's a lot um, different from what we have currently, as far as the athletic profile, I feel like it, a couple of the runs that he was able to make. Um, he just looked like he would be, uh, he had the strength to take on, take on players one-on-one and, and the creativity to get, get around them. Unfortunately, it didn't come off in this game, but he, he's a player I'd like to see more, more of, and I'm going to be watching in this tournament because, uh, I'm not sure what he's valued at, but you know, that's, I, I think his age and, and his, uh, skill level looked like, uh, the type of, type of player that Arsenal should be going after. Not that they're, he's a, in a priority position by any means, but uh, hopefully they're they're taking notice of that that kind of uh, play, even though it didn't come off in this game. Yeah, and we did have a fan question from Joe Robinson about which Swedish players should we, we be signing, which I, uh, I totally prompted because I knew I was going to talk about it. So thank you, Joe, for coming in and humoring me. <laughs> and... I think as we're talking about Isak, I think he's the type of player we should have been signing before the Euros. Mm. He's exactly mm-hmm. the type of player that his profile, just from that game alone, is shot up, and his cost is shot up completely. He uh, he's been on the Swedish national team radar for a while. People are are very uh, very aware of what he's doing, uh, and. He, you know, he's playing in the Spanish league. He's playing at Sociedad. His, what was it? His transfer fee coming from Sociedad wasn't that crazy or going to Sociedad. I think it was uh, a couple million. It wasn't that big. But if, you, if you've been following the Swedish national team, if you've been following him, he's, he, I mean, these are inevitable and I would take it with a grain of salt, but like people are calling him the next Zlatan is the the thing. I, I, I don't quite buy that. I don't think... He has the same physicality. He obviously doesn't have the same stature as Zlatan, which I think is going to make him be a different player. But I think he is a talent. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot more expensive to get him from Sociedad right now uh, than it would have been before the tournament. And even like it, it would have been better to pick him up when he was at uh, Wilhelm II, I think was his, uh, where he was at before. Yeah, he was on the he was at Dortmund, but he went on loan to uh, Wilhelm II, which you know Dutch league. I think that would have been the time when Sociedad bought him to really go for it. I think the other issue is that he reminds me a lot of Pepe, so it's a little bit of an overlap. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it, it it isn't a dire need, and you're going to be paying a, a decent amount for him when we've already paid seventy six million dollars for a player. I don't. <laughs> that fills very similar roles. Yeah. Uh, so would I like him on Arsenal? 
quite a bit. Yes. Do I think it's the best purchase? Probably not. It's just, you know, going to depend on the money and what they can do. But as I said, I don't think we're going to be the only team going after him. Yeah, the, the age is is great. You know, he's twenty one. He's valued currently at forty four million dollars, um, which has definitely gone up. <laughs> it's gone up, and I don't I don't know that he's. Um, yeah, I just don't know if that's where we're going to put our money in this window. He's definitely not a finished product either. He's a he's a project. He's he's a he's a lot of talent, and you saw what he was doing against Spain, which is he can take on, I mean, in the on that Marcus Berg uh, chance, he took on three players and basically beat all three of them. Uh-huh. And that's not a, uh, and it's not a horrible defense, the Spanish defense. So there's a lot of talent there, but it's definitely raw. It's going to need some coaching. He's going to need some development and he very well may not pan out. There's a lot of potential, but it's not a lot of definite at this point. Yeah. I, I based on his age and, 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 what he can do, I think that we'd be better off putting our time into Martinelli and, and Balogun to yeah. really develop the players that we have put money and, and time into already. But if you want a little sneaky tip on a, a player, I think who has plays the same position, has similar talent that's on the Swedish roster. We unfortunately didn't get to see him play against Spain. It's a uh, Jordan Larson. He's a uh, 23-year-old striker. He is actually uh, the son of the other famous Swedish player, Henrik Larsson, who's one of my favorite players of all time. And he has uh, been doing really, really, really well. He's uh, was on the youth team at Barcelona, but I think that was just because his dad was playing there uh, <laughs> at the time. That helps. Uh, He's on a Spartak Moscow right now. He's made 55 appearances last year or over the last two years for uh, Spartak, which is not a horrible return. And I think we tend to lose uh, players who play in the Russian league because it's not one that people follow, but it's not mm. a bad league despite Russia's national team. Uh, so I think he could be a player that if we're looking for a forward and you're looking for a good deal from the Swedish national team, I... I think he would be pretty useful, and I think you could get him for a fairly decent price. I don't know what he's on at transfer mark, but I don't think it's forty-four million. No, he's at uh, sixteen and a half. So that's a, I think he would be a much more interesting signing. I mean, I think there's a lot of excitement because of who his father is, but it's like you know, getting fifty-five games at Sparta. Uh, is not nothing at tw- and he's 23 so he's at that perfect age so we'll see he's going to be he's he's my my hot tip for a young striker from Sweden if we want to pick someone up i i like this um this aspect of the euros is getting getting kind of uh the shop window of all these young players and mm. and players you may not have heard of but are you know best in their country um or you know, at least trying to make their break into the, the bigger leagues, big into the bigger soccer world. And it's um, interesting to see which of these players comes out of the tournament and, and makes that next leap um, <laughs> to the next tier because of their performances. Well, the next player I'm going to mention is a player that I think wouldn't be a bad signing for Arsenal is a player we've all heard of. 
And I, it's going to be a hot take. I, I imagine I'm going to get some feedback, but I'm going to say Victor uh, Lindelof. Oh, okay. I was going to say Zlatan. Zlatan, that, please don't do. like, that, that's a whole other story. I would love to have Zlatan, but dated at the same time. But yeah, Lindelof from uh, Manu, the central defender, I think he gets a lot of negative press that he doesn't deserve. I think he's gotten mm. somewhat of a misinterpreted rep. And I think if we're looking for another center back coverage that has Premier League experience, I think he could do worse. I thought he played a great game against Spain, to be honest. And you, I, when I've seen him play for Man U, I think he's played fine. I think a lot of times people just like to pick on him because he's had a couple bad games in the past. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, 26, so he's a right age profile. Uh, and, and you know, he he's uh, valued at $26 million as well, so... Much much cheaper than some of the other options Arsenal are talking about. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. the Ben the Ben White rumor was was circulating this week. <laughs> uh, I think he's been valued in the forty million range. I'm not sure if that was pounds or dollars, but you know, it, the idea of sinking more money into our our center backs is crazy, um, considering the money that we put into. Saliba that we haven't even seen yet, but it's clear that they're interested in getting more more um, depth of that position, trying to replace some of what we've lost in uh, Louise. So um, I'm I'm not as familiar with Lindelof and how he plays out of the back. I think one of the things that they're um, definitely concerned about is is the ball carrying and the uh, the play out of the back. So whoever we go after will have to kind of replace what, what Louise was able to do. So I, th- I don't think it's a matter of just having bodies back there. I think there's a specific profile that, that Arsenal are interested in, which may, may be why Saliba isn't necessarily what they're looking for. I don't know. Yeah. And Lindelof definitely isn't, he's no, uh, uh, extreme, passer of the ball or anything like that but he definitely mm-hmm. has a, a solid defensive which I think sometimes can get overlooked that we want like everything all at yeah. once but having a nice just solid defender which is what he does as a center back is is, is something nice and I think that's why I would say it I, I it brings to mind an interesting point and in, um, you know I think one of the th- the surprising things to come out of this window so far has been the rumors of um, wanting another center back or wanting another goalkeeper, perhaps. And I think the thing, the the missing piece that that they're looking for is that ball control and playing out of the back. Um, Leno can do it, but he's not the best at it. So I think they would like to find somebody who is a little more comfortable playing out of the back and has better distribution with the ball at their feet. Um, and yeah, same same with our center backs. I think that's a key to getting that link up to, uh, you know, party and whoever we find to partner him. Um, that ball progression is really important, I think, in Arteta's mind. And having that consistently uh, strong player 
that strong distribution, whether it's at goalkeeper or coming out from the center backs or, you know, I think he wants that technical ability at all, all layers of the team so that if, if they get caught into a, a situation where a team decides to press them, they're not, they don't look as lost as they have in certain situations in the past couple of seasons. So I, I think that's going to be a, a key to whoever they go out and sign. It's got to be somebody who, who, no matter what the position is, they have to be able to play out of pressure and be comfortable on the ball. Yeah. Uh, do you want one last Swede or are we ready to move on? I, I literally oh, could go on for ages, but I'll take one more. Why not? All right, we'll take one more who also is familiar. I don't know how many people are familiar with him, but it's uh, Christopher Olsen. And why you should be familiar with him is that we've signed him before. He was actually <laughs> on our youth team from 2011 to 13, and then he was also had was technically on our uh, our uh, first team, though he didn't get any starts other than preseason. Mm. Uh, he scored his first Arsenal goal in preseason with a cross from Rosicki. Ah. Uh-huh. If uh, I, but I think a pretty much a dead post could hit a, a ball in with a Rosicki giving you a cross because he had some amazing crosses. Um, really I just put did. him out there because he is a nice. I think he's going to be cheap. I don't. Again, I don't have him on transfer mark, but I imagine he's not going to be breaking the bank as a midfielder. And I think he could be a good. Jaka replacement without being Jaka, if that makes sense. Like he's not, mm. he's not necessarily the, uh, the biggest defender. I mean, a lot of people compare him to, uh, Freddie, you but, uh, I think that's just cause he's Swedish and plays midfield. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens a lot with, uh, Swedes. Uh, but it, you know, he has a, he's, in a way he reminds me of a Brad Evans. If you're a Sounders fan, he's a, a box to box has some, some ability with the ball, but also has some ability with the defense. He's just that kind of all around type of player. And I think if we're, if we're selling Jock, if we're selling some of these players to try and make a profit to pick up a bigger name, I think he's a name we could pick up and he could do a job. And this is only hypothetically if we were actually interested in Swedish players. Right. I, I do, I do find it curious that a lot of the players that we've been linked to, um, or at least a, a good chunk re- in this last week, it seems like um, have Premier League experience. Um, you know, I don't know how much one game counts <laughs> for uh, Christopher here, but you know, it's. I, I do think that there is, um, if you can't get a player with a, a load of of, you know, um, if you don't go out and buy a player in his prime who has just a ton of general experience, I think there is a desire to go out and find players that have um, proven themselves in the Premier League. So I think that's going to be the toughest the the, um, the toughest sell for any player, whether they're Swedish or not, is that if you're going to come from outside the league, you it, it, it's it's going to be you have a set of skills that we can't find here with with the Premier League experience or they're going to want to find somebody who has already established that they are capable of playing at this level and isn't going to take a year or more to bet in with the team and the, the league. Um, Cause if you, if you can't hit the ground running and, and I think that was the desire with William and, and any of these other players that we've gone after in the premier league recently is like hopefully hitting the ground and not having that build up time. Um, but you know, if, if you're, if you're, 
in a, a true rebuild, then maybe there's room for more growth, more time. Um, but going back to Saliba, I kind of wonder if that's part of the problem too, is like, yeah, he's good in France, but mm. what, what are you going to do when you get to the Premier League? And I think that's a lot of like the good deals that you're going to see with these players in the Euros. They're going to look good in these scenario in these different scenarios, but how do they actually play in their home teams? And how does that translate once you bring them into the Premier League? Yeah, and I mean, not to go back too much to Isak, but I think he's like the hot property that a lot of people are talking about. And I think it's it's one of those cases where it's a high risk, high reward. Yeah, he could be the next Zlatan. He could be the next big thing. He has a lot of those pieces, but it's a $44 million bet or whatever. It's a, it's mm. a, it's a big bet on definitely not a sure thing. And I think that was something that maybe Arsenal could afford to do four seasons ago, five seasons ago. But I think directly after this last season, I don't think we can make those big bets anymore. I don't think we have the money or the will as a a fan base to to make those big bets anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's interesting to think about how, you know, uh, the Xhaka situation comes to mind because a lot of people are saying that he'd be fantastic in, in Italy because of the way that he plays and the style that Italy has kind of meshes really well. And I think um, Ceballos made comments that he's more comfortable in the Spanish league because of the way that, that, you know, he gets more time on the ball. He get you know, there's the, the skills that will show up in, in the Euros don't always translate well into how the premier league plays out. So I, I it's, it's kind of a, uh, you have to find a way to read between the lines a little bit and, and find those diamonds in the rough that are like have quality skills that will translate well into the Premier League. And that's that narrows down the field quite a bit. Well, I mean, it's in, you know, any of these major tournaments just inflate uh, the value. I'm thinking of uh, blanking on his name, Chilean that ended up going to menu. Oh, uh, uh, I am so blinking on his own. <laughs> Once you said blank and it was like my brain went blank. Uh, um, Sanchez? Sanchez, yes. Sanchez. Uh, you know, we got him right after that World Cup. And I imagine mm. part of his price was because he had such a great World Cup. You know? He was, I mean, he, he was one of my favorite Arsenal players for well, yeah. w- while he was with us. And like, he had some great moments, but longevity wise, didn't, didn't have it. And also I think like... um had the, had some of the similar problems that um, Pepe has worked through in that it cannot be a one-man show and, and make it work in the Premier League. I think it's it's possible at moments to do that, but it's very difficult to take the team on your back and try to do everything all on your own. You, you, it, the, the skill to having longevity in the league is to find a way to be make the most of the teammates around you. And this is going to be a little bit of a deviation and we're actually going pretty long, but uh, I wonder if that's uh, the reason why uh, Pogba or uh, Zlatan never really had great success in the Premier League is because those are two players that tend to take teams on their shoulders. And maybe mm. it's something that's a little bit more difficult to do in the Premier League. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know why that is, but it just seems like that the more you try to do on your own, the more teams tend to single you out and target you like, and, and, you know, that happened a lot with Sanchez where you just, you could just take him out. You know, he was, he wasn't a big body, you know, it was, 
you've foul those players out of the game or you frustrate them to the point where they, they kind of realize they can't do everything that they want to do. And, and they tend to kind of maybe not Zlatan who tends to <laughs> get frustrated and get better, but you know, it's um, for a lot of players that can do that in other leagues, they get to the Premier League and kind of hit a wall. I think I, I, I don't know what, if there's um if that's a universal rule, but yeah, I, I think there is some, um, something to be said for the better players being guys that can figure out ways to get the most out of the players around them or facilitate players around them. You've got the De Bruyne's who, yeah. you know, flourish because they are also good facilitators. Definitely. Okay. Actually, you know, so our Sweden conversation was much broader than I expected. <laughs> Quite enjoyable, so I'm, I'm I'm pleased with how that went. We'll have to come back to them after their next game. Yeah, I mean, I could literally talk, make a, a whole podcast about Sweden, but I know that that's a very niche niche uh, interest, so I won't bore you too much with it. And I tried to broaden it out and at least involve Arsenal in the, the conversation a little. Yeah, I tr- I tried to interject some Arsenal things in there, so <laughs> I think I think we did all right. Um, let's take a quick break. I, we've got, I think one more question that we can hit from you guys. Another one from Joe Robinson. Thanks Joe for, for doing your job and giving us all the questions this week. We love it. Um, so we'll come back from the break and answer Joe's next question and, uh, see where we go from there. So stick with us. Welcome back from the break. And now we hit our last question of the day from Joe Robinson. What national team, past or present, do you think best represents Arsenal in their current state? This is a tough one. I have an immediate answer. And then as I, I, when I read this, I had another answer that I'm trying to remember what it was. I, have, I had two for sure, just right off the top of my head. But what about you? What do you, what do you got? Oh gosh, I was thinking of the French team from a couple of World Cup cycles ago that just completely imploded. <laughs> <laughs> but the things I don't think the uh, Arsenal is completely imploded in that way. That no. was a very specific. No. That was, that the, was uh, very dramatic. Yeah, there's like uh, walk-offs on the bus. That was the uh, South Africa 2014 World Cup. Right. Um, yeah, they're not that bad. That was just the first one that popped into my head. And I was like, yeah, I could make a case for Arsenal kind of being less than advertised, but <laughs> maybe not maybe not to that degree because I think there was high expectations for that that French team as there always is, but that was that was a pretty pretty big disappointment in in the way that things played out for them. I'm going to throw out and this is the easy answer to the first thing that came to mind, which is the current Germany team. And the reason I say it is that I think it was a team that won a lot, which mm. we used to win a lot. Uh, it's, you know, you know, won the World Cup before we won the Premier League. Uh, it is a team that has held on to its manager far too long, which I think <laughs> uh, might have been the case with Wenger, as much as I love Wenger. Uh, it is a team that is failing to realize expectations, both not only this tournament, but in the World Cup in 2018, you have a lot of issues with trying to figure out which players to hold on to, which players are creating issues. There's an Azul on the team. Uh, 
<laughs> there's a yeah a lot of uh interesting parallels i think uh the fans are getting tired of it which i think also speaks to to uh to uh arsenal so i think that's my first answer and i'm trying to remember the second answer i had a second fun one too i you know i think uh there's been some Brazil teams that have fallen well short of expectations that come to mind, you know, all the, all the right pieces on, on paper. But then when it comes to the actual on field product, just not finding ways to put it together. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, Brazil world cup team comes to mind with that. Yeah. Um, but tough. I mean, you gotta have a pretty good encyclopedic knowledge of the, uh, the World Cup teams. <laughs> no, I, I think of the big disasters more than I think of the big successes, which maybe says something about my current feelings on Arsenal. Right. For me, for me, it's faded glory is the teams. I would say up until this early, this uh, first game, I would say Italy, because uh, I think Italy uh, is another team that's that had been resting on a lot of their laurels and the fact that they had been winning, but they actually look good this <laughs> this first game at least uh yeah i don't know if turkey is really the um the team to test your test your limits against i don't know it's it we'll have to see how they play in their next game which i think is today or to remember tomorrow, tomorrow? tomorrow? Yeah. yeah turkey wales is that correct am i crazy turkey wales and i'm trying to think of who italy's playing though uh, Italy's playing Switzerland with the Switzerland, Zaga. yeah, should yeah, be yeah. featuring in that game. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think a lot of people liked Turkey as a dark horse, but they just fell apart, and I don't know what it, it was. They looked like they had a, they were struggling to just get passes together. Like they, it seemed like Italy could, was just a little too much pressure for them. Like they they were doing their best to keep control of the ball, but not, not really executing very well, even when they had possession. So I, I don't know if that maybe, maybe Wales is more their pace. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. I mean, that actually should be a pretty good games. Like or pretty good games it should be a pretty good game mm-hmm. that I, I think they, they match each other. Well, it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, Turkey's supposed to have a really, really good defense. I haven't watched a lot of Turkey live. Is that the other? Yeah, the other team I wanted to like maybe compare was just maybe not this current Belgium, but Belgium. Oh, no, no, it wasn't Belgium. It was Netherlands. Netherlands is another team that I was thinking would be an Arsenal team, which is, again, historically great. There's, you know, and with, you know, the Netherlands, you have the whole total football, the, the classic era of the 70s, the Cruyffs and all that but uh, have failed to live up to their potential over the last couple of years and the last couple of tournaments and have these players that should be doing great on paper, but just for whatever reason, don't click on the field and have mm-hmm. a tradition of offense. So somewhere between the current Germany team and Netherlands over the last three tournaments. Yeah. I, they're definitely a team I'm keeping an eye on. Um, in this tournament, I, I, their team I've enjoyed quite a bit in the past. They're a team I've kind of, I, I root for France. I root for Netherlands typically in these, in these tournaments. Um, 
so when they were kind of in their dark period, I was pretty surprised and sad and it's not, it was, it was definitely not what ex- was expected, but, um, you know, watching, watching a little bit of ga- their game the other day, they, they've got talent. There's no doubt about the talent that they have on the field. It's just a matter of, can they put it together? So I'm curious to see if they have what it takes. Cause for a moment there, it looked like they could, they could have fallen apart to Ukraine. And that was, that was scary for a minute, but they, they found a way to get it done. So they did find a way to get there. And then they, they're a fragile team. Like I think they have their team that have the potential to make it to the final and a team that can get knocked out on the group stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it, I, I, it, they're, full of talent and they should be playing better than they are. And so they'll, they'll be a fun game to watch. I don't like their coach all that much. I don't think, uh, what's his name? DeBoer is, uh, DeBoer. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a good coach. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds very harsh to say, but I just, I don't, I Former don't Atlanta him. United coach. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just don't <laughs> read him. Yeah. And so I think that can be an issue as well when it comes down to the, uh, to the wire. I will say when I, when when Atlanta signed him, I was like, man, that that is the kind of coaching signing that I was kind of like hoping for with with MLS to kind of like bring in these potentially great soccer minds and then see how they how they fare in this weird sandbox. But that 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 experiment made me second guess that completely. I'm like, maybe we should just stick to former MLS players because they seem to understand something that these other foreign coaches do not. I mean, for the most part, foreign foreign coaches that have no MLS experience. Again, going down a rabbit hole. But the, those types of coaches have historically failed in MLS, mm-hmm. and I do think it has a lot to do with MLS's weird. MLS's finances are weird. I think that's really what it comes down to is team construction is so different from anywhere else in the world that it's hard to wrap your head around. And, you know, Miami's fallen afoul <laughs> of that recently where they somehow ended up with five designated players, which is how you, <laughs> you know, it's how you would construct a team anywhere else in the world. You want to get right. the best talent. Why not get Matweedy in? But it doesn't work that way in MLS. And so I think... Coaches that are heavily dependent on bringing in the right talent to to do what they want to do are going to have a hard time. Whereas if you're in the MLS and have been in a while, you know who the players are that are the cheap substitutes. And that's why yeah. I, I think the Sounders have done a really good job of getting the the you know the cheap substitutes, the poor man's whoever you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm. It's, it seems like quietly there's been like a, a an acceptance that that's the way to go is to to bring in coaches that have a, a general understanding of how to get the most bang for your buck and not necessarily um, how to the ones that manage egos or you know are have lofty philosophies. I think you have to at the end of the day just have that grittiness to find ways to win no matter what. And that's not something that a lot of um, the great soccer minds necessarily have right off the bat, unless they have a group of talent that can kind of grind that out for them. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to, you're really just, I mean, it's because there's going to be a certain amount of these players that are MLS players, whether they're American or not, they've, you need a good, probably half your squad to be MLS veterans of some sort or another. And they're just not getting the same 
soccer education that you would get from around the world. And so to to try and put something too complicated, it's, it's just it's just not going to work under this current economic climate for MLS. When you get rid of that side, yeah, it's, that'll be a different story. But yeah, I think the <clears throat> you know teams at the top level have difficult have difficult time with like true tactical flexibility. Like you're lucky if you can get one one set of tactics that works really well week in and week out. Um, but some of these, I, I, I would imagine DeBoer is one of those coaches that was like, okay, I've got all these things that I want to do with this team and we're just going to put all these ideas out there and hope that some of it sticks and it just doesn't work. Like simple is better when it comes to MLS. It's kind of like the brute force tactic of just just get through games, grind it out, let your players do what they need to do and not try to get too fancy with it. That being said, and you're probably going to clip this audio out and when Holland or the Netherlands win the, the Euros play this at the beginning of the thing, but I, I just do not rate DeBoer as a coach. I don't think he's a good, I don't think he, he necessarily fits into that world-class coaching range. No, maybe not. I mean, I think he's, he's in a lucky position that he has a good crop of players right now that may be able to overcome some of his shortcomings. Exactly. But, uh, as I said, we'll probably clip this at the beginning, at the end of the, uh, Euros. So you, people can hear how wrong I am. Cause that is a hot take. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, um, I think that should do it for us this week. That's that's plenty. Yeah, I, I mean, we talked a lot about a whole lot of stuff that wasn't Arsenal this, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> we tried really hard to rein it into Arsenal, but there's just no news. Like, I, I don't get, get me wrong. I like to talk about Arsenal, but there's no real concrete news. So yeah. If if you're listening to this and you want us to talk about something specific to Arsenal or specific to a transfer, send in your questions because that's really how we we kind of zero in on the things that you want us to talk about. So um, if we're not hitting those marks, let us know, and that's how, that's how we'll we'll write the ship here. Um, but you know, there's not a whole lot of concrete things to talk about. We're not going to talk about a lot of these um, far off uh, transfer rumors because. At the moment, there's there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, concrete things, and there's only things I don't want to believe, like the the rumor that uh, Odegaard is going to stay at Real Madrid. You know, those things I don't want to know about. I only want good news. Well, I mean, and <laughs> I know we're wrapping it up, but I mean, I think I've been we've been both talking about the Odegaard for a while, which is I'm pretty sure he's staying at Madrid, and that's just not it's not a rumor thing. That's just. What it's, it's more of a fact. It's more like <laughs> what is looking like happening as far as what they're doing. Yeah. But yeah. That's okay. I, to That's me, I, I I almost want to just uh, hitch my hitch my wagon to the next uh, next greatest thing. Like I want to find the next Dota guard. Isak. Right. Sure. That guy. You know, I, I like I always like the potential of these unknowns coming into Arsenal and yep. finding a way into the uh, into our hearts <laughs> <laughs> until they break them. Yes. Until they shatter them. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll probably have, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot more transfer talk after the euros. So between now and then send in your questions or we'll just continue to talk about the euros <laughs> until, until this tournament's over. So yep. that's okay too. I can talk about Sweden all day long. 
I, I'm surely going to watch more games. I Like I said, I've watched bits and pieces here and there, so I need to sit down and try to watch more games front to back. Yeah, I mean, coming up, uh, if you're if you're looking at that Denmark-Belgium game should be interesting. England-Scotland is a must-watch. That's a Friday 12 o'clock game that just for the the derbiness of it. Mm-hmm. You said Denmark, Belgium. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious about the the Italy, Switzerland, and the Turkey Wales games tomorrow for sure. Yeah. But uh, Portugal, uh, oh, Portugal, Germany cool. coming up. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a nice game as well. And uh, yeah, then we uh, of course Sweden, Slovakia. Sweden, Slovakia. I probably will watch that. I, I got to stay on top of this Sweden stuff. Yeah, I definitely recorded it. It's one of the six o'clock games, and I'm probably going to record it. Yeah. Well, lots of stuff to keep an eye on, but uh, we'll see if some rumors start swirling about some more of these players. Like if if Isak, if the if the rumor real really starts turning towards Arsenal, it's definitely been some talk, but nothing concrete. So we'll keep. Keep our ears open for more of that. And I say I'm not into rumors, but send me all the sock rumors. I will love it. Yeah, let let Tim dream. Let him have some hope of a, <laughs> a true Swedish player on this team again. Uh, all right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you all for listening this long. If you've stuck with us through all the Europa League talk, or Europa League, excuse me, Euros talk. <laughs> I don't know how many times I, I slip Europa League in there, but if I did it before this, I'm, I apologize. Um continue to review and subscribe if you have not done so already wherever you pick up your podcasts we'd love to get your reviews and just click that subscribe button uh especially if you're watching us on youtube subscribe like smash that stuff several times if you can with several different accounts we need your we need your subscriptions so we can uh get some more eyeballs on our beautiful faces because i know that's all you really get really want that's all you really come for is to look at this (laughs) uh but you know if you don't like looking at us we've got the podcast wherever you you pick up uh those sorts of things uh follow us on twitter what at w of n london or west of north london at gmail.com those are two places you can send in your questions on a weekly basis and if you are feeling spicy send us a, a voicemail anchor.fm slash west of north london slash slash message can't say it all that fast um, that's where you can send us a voicemail which we will gladly put on our next episode uh, so send in questions at any one of those places we'd love to hear from you and if you like our theme song go check out bobcat it's bobc.at that's their website and you can find their latest album no course to follow uh, right there and check out uh, any news of making a comeback post-COVID here because I'm sure they are itching to get out and play some shows so that would be the place you can find that information and I believe that is it for this week's episode so as always see you at the next conjure